The past few years have been disruptive, and we still haven't found our footing. Rapid change can bring with it much anxiety and fear of the future. But in our Advent sermon series titled, On the Edge of Something New, we're asking the question, what if change brings hope along too? During Advent, we are looking at how the birth of Jesus, as told to us in the Gospel of Matthew, changed people's understanding of who God is, of what God is doing among them, and how Jesus' birth brings new hope to the people then and now. Last week, Dale's message reflected on Jesus as a new kind of Messiah who both redefined and fulfilled messianic hopes. Today, our scripture covers the genealogy of Jesus that opens the book of Matthew. Matthew's genealogy is the bridge between the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures. Genealogies are common in the Hebrew scriptures as a way of showing that a person belongs to the Israelite people. Jesus' genealogy demonstrates that Jesus can be counted as a son of David, a son of Abraham, among the Israelite people, an heir to the promises God made to the Israelites, as recorded in the Bible. Before we hear the genealogy read, I'll say a couple of things about genealogies in general. Americans are used to counting family lines through both their mother's and father's families. Essentially, in our culture, a person is a member of both their mother and their father's families. But only about 40% of societies in the world trace their ancestry this way. Until the early 20th century, 60% of the world's societies traced their ancestry down only one family line, either their father's or their mother's, just a single line down one side, only the male or the female ancestors, and people belonged to one family or the other. Tracing the line, the men, down the father's side is called patrilineal, and tracing the women down the mother's side is called matrilineal descent. In patrilineal descent, for example, only males pass their family identity down to the children. So in this case, you would belong only to your father's extended family, not your mother's. And whichever way society traces their kinship ties influences the scope of family identity, responsibility, and obligation. The genealogies in the Bible are patrilineal. Ancient Israelite family identity was passed down through the father's line, through all the males, and property inheritance and family obligation was passed this way too. So when we hear Jesus' genealogy read, we will hear a long list of male names. But there are four women, plus Mary, Jesus' mother, named in the genealogy. To our modern ears, we might focus on the overall lack of women in the genealogy. But... To ancient ears, in a society that traces family lineage patrilineally, the inclusion of women at all would be startling. The inclusion of these four women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Uriah's wife, also also known as Bathsheba, is definitely something new. Which means we should ask the question, why are these women included in Jesus' genealogy? As the scripture is read, listen for the names of the women. Try to listen with ancient ears, startled at their inclusion. Afterwards, I'll briefly recount their stories. Let us listen as the scripture is read. Today's reading comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 1, verses 1 through 16 in the Common English Bible. 
a record of the ancestors of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Aram. Aram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashan. Nashan was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boab, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asaph. Asaph was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Uram. Uram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Amos. Amos was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jeconiah and his brothers. This was the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheatil. Sheatil was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud. Abiud was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Esar. Esar was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Akim. Akim was the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Muttam. Muttam was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. As we have heard the names of the kings and leaders preceding Jesus, let us rejoice with hearts of thanksgiving. That's a long list of men, punctuated by a few women. There is a saying that has made its way onto t-shirts and posters lately. Well-behaved women seldom make history. But do you know where that saying comes from? In the 1970s, Professor Laura, Laurel Thatcher Ulrich wrote a scholarly essay about the funeral sermons of Christian women that noted that women who act in unexpected ways tend to be remembered, while more conventional women fade from memory. In saying this, Thatcher Ulrich was lamenting that many women who make positive contributions to society are overlooked by the history books because throughout history, quote unquote, good women's lives tend to be domestic and domestic lives haven't traditionally been considered important enough 
to be considered worthy of study by historians, which is a shame. She wasn't denigrating women who fulfill their traditional roles, quite the opposite, in fact. She was pointing out that women who behave unconventionally or outrageously broke out of the domestic sphere and therefore were seen as worthy of being recorded by historians. The four women in Jesus's genealogy certainly fit the quote. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba are probably included in Jesus's patrilineal genealogy because they were assertive and unconventional and demonstrated a notable fidelity to God and family that are essential to the eventual, eventual arrival of the Messiah. But before we go into their stories, I want to say something about the 35 women who are not named in this genealogy, so that we don't fall into the trap of assuming that unnamed equals unimportant. Sometimes the relative invisibility of women in the biblical or historical record and the attendant societal gender inequality leads us to conclude that women in history were somehow meek, not fully capable or mature, or helpless victims. This is not the case. The unnamed women might have remained in the domestic sphere, but they are as vital to ta as Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, even if they are not named in the patrilineal genealogy. Archaeologists have excavated households from periods in biblical history and have interpreted their findings that interpreted from their findings that women were responsible for many of the activities that had to do with maintaining the sustenance, welfare, and long-term survival of the household and the carrying on of the family line. The women of ancient Israel participated in economic, social, political, and religious activities, and the work they did, like food processing, textile production, and fashioning household implements, required specialized knowledge. And this work was time-consuming, physically demanding, and technologically sophisticated. Many women likely had quite a bit of power in their domestic spheres of influence. Overall, women were essential in regulating household and community life, and their work was imperative for the survival of the people. Each one is known to God, even though her personal story is lost to time, and we can be grateful to all these women for carrying on the work of daily living, generation to generation. Now, to those women who did make history, starting with Tamar the first to show up in the genealogy. Who was Tamar? Tamar's story is told in Genesis. Tamar was the wife of Judah's firstborn son, Er. Er is wicked and dies. Remember patrilineal descent? After he dies, there's a family obligation. In ancient custom, the dead husband's brother must sleep with the wife in order to provide offspring to continue the brother's family line. So Judah tells Ur's brother, Onan, that he has to do his duty. But Onan does not. He does not, how shall we say, fully comply because he knows any child that was born would belong to his dead brother, not to him. So Judah sends Tamar away, back to her family, telling her that she has to wait until another son grows up. So she goes away and waits. But even when this son grows up, 
Judah does not have Tamar marry him. And this is wrong. Judah is wronging Tamar. Judah could fulfill the obligation himself or set her free to marry again. Instead, he sends her to live as a widow in her father's house. But unlike other widows, she cannot remarry and must stay chaste on pain of death. Tamar does not like this situation and resolves to change it. Judah, whose wife has now died, is on his way to a nearby area to shear shear some sheep. Tongue twister. Shear some sheep. So Tamar disguises herself and goes to sit along the road to wait for him. Judah sees her, but does not recognize her. He thinks she is a prostitute and propositions her. She agrees and takes his seal and staff as a promise of future payment. Later on, it is revealed that Tamar is guilty of prostitution and pregnant, and Judah calls for her to be burned to death. Tamar then reveals his seal and staff, and Judah relents, saying, She is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son, Shelah. Tamar gives birth to Perez and Zerah, and Perez is listed as an an ancestor of Jesus. Tamar, in her actions, proved herself to be righteous, assertive in her rights, and loyal to Judah's family. Tamar's unconventional behavior ensured the family line would continue until the arrival of the Christ child. Our next woman in the genealogy is Rahab. Her story appears in the book of Joshua. Before the Israelites, who have been wandering in the wilderness, crossed the Jordan River, their leader Joshua sends men ahead to scout the land and the city of Jericho. The men decide to spend the night in the house of a prostitute, Rahab. The king of Jericho sends a message to Rahab that she must turn over these men to him, but instead she has hidden them. Rahab tells Joshua's men that she believes in their God and prophesies Israel's occupation of the land. She asks the spies to swear to the Lord that they will show kindness to her family when they ransack the city, and ultimately they do. Rahab and her family were spared and become part of the people of Israel. A couple of important notes about Rahab. First, as a female, she was the head of her household and the wage earner, which was unusual. But even though she was a head of household as a Canaanite, a woman, and a prostitute, she would have been triply marginalized in Israelite society. And yet, she moves to the center of Israel's story. Rahab was King David's great-great-grandmother. So with Rahab, we have the unfolding of the, into the family line of Jesus, a woman of agency and some authority, who was also a foreigner and a sex worker. God was truly showing the people something new about who is included in the family of God through Rahab. Our next notable woman is Ruth, who has her own book of the Bible. Ruth's story starts with a woman named Naomi, who went with her family to Moab when there was a famine in Israel. There, Naomi's son married Moabite women, and then all the men in Naomi's family die. Naomi is left a widow in a foreign land. All her daughters-in-law loved her, but had no family obligation to her. This is patrilineal descent again. 
and therefore were free to move on with their lives. Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, refuses to leave her and follows Naomi back to Bethlehem. There, they live as poor widows, gleaning fields for survival. A rich man, Boaz, Rahab's son, takes an interest in Ruth. Naomi encourages Ruth to approach Boaz, even though that might be dangerous for her to be so forward. Ruth does approach Boaz. Boaz is receptive to Ruth, but a property question comes into play that affects whether they can marry, having to do with patrilineal descent and inheritance. But to make a long story short, Boaz takes responsibility for Ruth and marries her, and they have a son, Obed, the grandfather of David. In the Bible, Ruth is compared directly with Tamar. Like Tamar, Ruth is assertive, unconventional, and loyal to her family. She is also a poor, vulnerable foreign woman on the margins of society. And again, we see her surprising inclusion in the family of God. Last, we have the wife of Uriah, who we know her name is Bathsheba. Bathsheba's story is recorded in 2 Samuel. Bathsheba is the wife and daughter of loyal soldiers of King David. One evening, David sees her bathing on the roof and sends his messengers to bring her to him. David is the king, and Bathsheba must go and whatever he commands, and do whatever he commands, even if she's married to someone else. She doesn't get to say no to this powerful man. And even so, if David hadn't been king, both he and Bathsheba could have been put to death under Israelite law concerning adultery. Bathsheba becomes pregnant with David's child. Her husband has been away fighting all this time, and David decides to have Uriah killed at the front of the battle. And then David takes Bathsheba as his own wife. But the baby that they conceived dies as punishment from God for David's behavior, according to the prophet Nathan. However, David and Bathsheba do go on to have another son, Solomon. When Solomon grows up, Bathsheba plays an active role in ensuring that Solomon inherits the throne. Bathsheba, in her own way, is unconventional and assertive and loyal to her family, like Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth. Also, in the eyes of Israelite society, Bathsheba was an adulteress. It is certainly something new that Bathsheba is included in the family of God. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Each one was a mother to the nation of Israel, whose bold actions ensured the continued family lineage until the arrival of Jesus. The inclusion of each of these women in the family of God shows us that God has a big vision for who belongs in the family. Jesus, in his life and ministry, will carry on the widening of, this, of the vision of who is included in this family of God. Next week, Dale will preach on these same verses, but reflecting on Jesus's embarrassing family tree from a different perspective. Today, looking at Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, we can see these women as people on the margins and know that foreigners, impoverished people, sex workers, and adulterers are all included in Jesus's family line. And despite their limiting circumstances, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba 
emerge as powerful, righteous women. So often, the Bible is cited as support for keeping women limited to the domestic sphere or used as an excuse to withhold or strip us of our human rights. But in Jesus' genealogy, we see something new. We see that the Christ child comes into the world through powerful women, women who fought for their rights, women who had agency over their own bodies, and women who did not let abuse by powerful men break them. Let us remember this and find hope and inspiration in the inclusion of Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba in Jesus' genealogy. These women are brought into the very center of the family of God and are crucial to God's mission in Christ. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that well-behaved women and those who make history all belong in the family of God. Let us be grateful to the women who carry on the hard work of the tasks of daily living. And let us look to Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba as women of righteousness and examples of what it means to trust in the grace of God. May it be so. Thanks be to God. Amen.